Welcome to 2 Deep Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. I am just coming down from my fit of rage I had over the weekend at about 7.30 on Saturday night after the fourth overtime ended. I will I will say you you know you didn't have the Twitter outburst that I had in my rages earlier in the the season so I I was pretty proud of you actually in your response I decided to get off of Twitter some point in the second half for because I was just losing my mind and when you watch the game I was basically watching the game alone and whenever that happens I end up getting way more angry than with if I'm with anyone else. And that's exactly what was going on. So I was like, I need to censor myself. And that's what I did because I was I was mad. I'm going to be honest. What really happened, my wife for an extended period of time took my phone away at, at B-dubs. We were there. <laughs> she took my phone away and just held it and said, no, pay attention to the game. Stop tweeting anything out because you're going to say something you don't mean. So, Well, Robbie, I was wondering if you could give us a cheers uh, and we've said it a couple weeks, you know, we don't may, might not feel there's a lot to cheers about, but I think you got a good one this week. Yeah. I'm going to go with my cheers being as uh Beamer's quote that he said, uh, whatever's in the best interest of, of Virginia tech is what he's into. This is after some awkward questioning that's continued to happen about what the future is going to be and his role with Virginia Tech. And that was his response is that he's down for whatever's best for Virginia Tech. I mean, how much that was a gut punch when I read that. It was a little bit sad. I'm glad I didn't have to hear it in person. But, um, you know, hats off to that guy. There's a lot going on right now in the program. So let's cheers to him. Cheers. All right. Well, today is kind of a a special episode. We're going to have Mike McDaniel on to help us do our recap of the Duke game and preview BC with us. I know he has a lot of thoughts, and I'm looking forward to it. And we're also going to do College Storytime this week. So look forward to that. But right now we're going to jump into our news and notes and our Duke recap. So Mike McDaniel has joined us, and he's the associate editor at InsideTheACC.com. Mike, thanks for being here. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? We are going to go into our notes of the week, uh, and the only one I really had was the heavy whispers we've been hearing about Beamer's retirement uh, or you know whether he's going to resign or not. He said he's going to do what's best for Virginia Tech, and... A lot of the fan base feels that what's best for Virginia Tech is for him to call it after this year. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? Do you, do you think that will happen during the season? Probably not during the season, but you'd have to think that his time's up, right? I mean, it would after that Duke loss and after the way we performed against ECU and Pitt. The yeah. writing seems to be on the wall. Yeah, and you know the offense is playing a lot better, right? So you got Michael Brewer back this weekend, right? And he. You know, he throws for 270 yards. So, okay, we've improved the passing game, but then you look at the issues on defense, and there's this narrative that Bud Foster's this great defensive coordinator, and the stats this year just don't reflect that. You know, and they, they've been a good defense nationally, but do they pass the eye test? It's that bend but don't break mentality, right? So, I mean, how how much longer is the athletic department, specifically Whit Babcock's new athletic director, who really has no ties to Frank Beamer, right? Um, how right. long is he going to put up with this, 
you know, six loss season year after year, and it looks like it's going to be even worse this season. So, I mean, I think it's time for Beamer to step down and do what's best for for Tech as a school. But you know, and I don't that's think definitely do the conversation this week is that. Is he going to step down? Is he not? Will it happen next week, the week after, at the end of the season? But I think we all – I think it's almost safe to say that this will be his last season. Yeah, I think this is it. And um, there have been rumblings after each of the last couple seasons, and you know there was a lot of rumors going around that, hey, we want to get him to the Tennessee game next season, right? Because it's just been – you know he's been such an instrumental part of getting that game together and getting all the fans to that game, you know, the I, biggest college football game ever or whatever. But I just don't see a reason to keep him. I was, I was totally, um, I, I started, I think our, our season saying that um, he would be, people were putting too much thought into this and then he would be around. I never expected this team to end up playing that the way that they did. I, I don't think that they would have ended up where they are if Brewer had stayed healthy after that game, seeing the way that they played in that Duke game. So, yeah, I I think he has to move on as well. But um, we'll see whether he announces it during the season or, or, or after it's over. It, the only difference there is, in my mind, maybe a little bit of extra recruiting time, knowing that he's either going to move on and we can find another coach. But that's that's it. It doesn't really matter to, to the fan base other than us wanting to know whether it's now or he announces it after the season, and I don't think he's sticking around for another year. Right, and I'm like, you know, speaking as a Virginia Tech fan, and, you know, I'm, I, I write for the entire ACC, but being a Tech alum and seeing how much this team has underperformed, I mean, we can make the argument that outside of Georgia Tech, who's underperformed more? It's it, That's a tough question. I mean, because we knew that UVA was going to be bad, we didn't have high expectations for Wake or Syracuse. And, and Miami, I mean, people are saying, okay, Miami's underperforming. That's why they fired Golden. I mean, he was on the hot seat anyway. They've underperformed for years, and this is kind of what we were expecting for them. Right. We thought this could be, and we weren't the only ones. I mean, Stuart Mandel picked us to go to the ACC title game, maybe even win. We were that team that this was Beamer's chance to have at least maybe a swan song, have a good season. And potentially roll him into next year so he could coach that Bristol game. But let's save some of this Beamer conversation until maybe there is an announcement. And let's talk about Duke. A 45-43 loss, four overtimes. It was as heart-wrenching as it gets. You couldn't come closer to a coin flip game, as they call it. And I, I said to Robbie and to you guys earlier that I was really pissed off. And I think it's partially because... I viewed it as our last shot to get the season together because Brewer was back, because we technically would have still had a chance at the Coastal if we had pulled off the win, but we didn't, and we want to get into some of the positives and negatives of the game. The positives really come down to the offense. The offense looked good. We scored 43 points on a team that was giving up 9.3 per game. Now, we went into four overtimes, but even in regulation, we scored 24 points per game, which is two and a half times more than Duke's been giving up. And this is this is another part of it. How much of that has to do with Duke's schedule, too? You know what I mean? It's um, They played a very weak schedule, and we had right. talked about that on our last week's podcast. And it showed because we were able to do things on offense that a lot of teams hadn't been able to do against Duke because they had played nobody. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to – I said this last week uh, – 
I think Duke has a good defense. I think Cash is going to be an All-American again. The way that he blew up the middle, came off the edge on some of his sacks, things like that. I think our offense performed very, very well. And I think Burr came out and he fired up the team. And it just didn't end up being enough at the end of the day. There's just so many, there's just so much stacked against it, whether it's the play calling or whether it's not getting the running backs in at the right time, or there's a lot stacked against uh, this team right now. But I think we have a talented, uh, you know, first team of wide receivers, talented tight ends, and a talented quarterback, and an O-line that played admirably. And I think that this can't be faulted on the offense in this game, I don't think at all. You're right. The, our skill players had a big day. Bucky, five catches, 101, three touchdowns. Uh, four, nine catches, 67 yards. Malik, four for 43. And, of course, our main man, McMillan, with 29 carries and 142 yards and two TDs. Finally got him the football, you know? I mean, it took him a half, but they did finally get him the football. And it's odd that we're, I'm happy about Bucky's performance. And we, we even called a big game from Bucky on last week's podcast. We were like, he, this could be the game that he goes off, five catches, three touchdowns, but yet I'm still left feeling that he could have played better. And he's the guy that benefits most, I think, also moving forward You know, from Michael Brewer coming back because he's a guy all year long that we were hoping would you know, come out after how he performed last year as a redshirt freshman and play extremely well. And then you know Brewer goes down in the opener. Ohio State has him covered up like a blanket because we saw, you know, you saw what we did last year in the Ohio State game. I mean, Bucky played so well, Ohio State wasn't going to let him beat them twice. So, and that seems to be what all defenses have done, and and that's what uh, I think Leffler said today is that Bucky's always the number one option, and that teams have been just k- kind of keying on him. And in this game, we went at him. Uh, even more, and I think they liked the matchup that they had with Bucky. He kind of quit a little bit on a route, had a couple drop balls, but you know, as Dumber Dumber said, you know, you totally redeemed yourself at the end with that fourth down touchdown catch, and then the uh, another touchdown catch in overtime. Uh, he played. He played a good game. It's just I want to see Bucky put together that complete game. Before we totally transition to the to probably McMillan, which I think we're going, let's just Isaiah Ford. Some of the catches he made, he was up against a really good corner in this game that was blanketing him for the better part of the first half and into the second half, and he found a way to get open and get free. And on top of the clutch catches that he made in that game, one of the catches that he made on that left sideline, the deep pass, he almost got his toe in on. What I didn't think he was even going to be able to get his hands on 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 that pass. It didn't. It wasn't a completion. But he is such a talent. And even when the yards don't show it, and he didn't have as many, he had no touchdowns. I think in this game, and you know he's been racking them up. Uh, I think he is just such a talent, and it's just so exciting to watch that kid play week to week. And he's you know he showed that against NC State. You know the ability to get into the end zone. You know repeatedly. And he's a guy who you're not going to hold down for very long. And I think he's one guy that benefits from Bucky Hodges being blanketed because he seems to always find a way to get open. And it's almost like defenses here this season have not found a way to cover both of them. You know, if it's Bucky one game, it's Isaiah the next. And we haven't really and seen a And can't big... forget about Cam either. Right. And you can't forget about Cam either. That's right. So, you know, I think he's the next guy on the totem pole, right? So that if they blanket Bucky, they blanket Isaiah Ford. Cam Phillips is the next guy who's going to benefit from 
those two guys being well covered. So no th- doubt. So this is a this is a talented group of young wide receivers, and I think what you're seeing this year is a guy in Isaiah Ford who's taken the next step to become you know most definitely an All ACC player. I mean coming That's into for the, sure coming into last weekend. I mean he was first in the conference in touchdown catches. So he's a guy that has repeatedly shown ability to go out and make plays and. Um, you know, he just seemingly always finds a way to get open, which is significant for Tech moving forward, I think. The hope with Isaiah, too, is that since he isn't like that big Julio Jones-sized receiver, A.J. Green type, he'll probably be here four years. Like, not a lot of six-foot-one wide receivers get taken after their junior year, and if that's the case, he's going to potentially have a chance at all of Antonio Freeman's records. So that's exciting, because he really is open every single game the last two positives I wanted to point out were just Rogers eight for 28 and it that might not sound really spectacular but the way he finds holes and some of those runs that he had were so key uh love Sam Rogers already and him running the football last game if anyone's gonna spell McMillan I do want he's to be the, Sam. he's the de facto I mean I was gonna say he's a de facto second string running back he's a guy that's gonna come in and spell McMillan and he's also a guy who's very good in pass protection. He's he's set back there. He's got a big frame, and he has an ability to get in front of those rushing defensive linemen and linebackers. Time and time again this year, you've seen you've seen these linebackers come come in and uh, and and blitz. I mean, Brendan Motley, and you saw Rogers a lot in pass protection against Ohio State as well. So he's a guy they're not afraid to put back there, um, and you know put him in put him in pass protection situations, but. You know what Tech's offense needs to be careful of is putting Rodgers in there in other times in the shotgun formation where he's not going to be there in pass protection where he's going to take a handoff out of the gun because what you're seeing right now is defenses are starting to key on, um, you know, when Rodgers is in the game, they're going to throw. And I think that's something that, you know, they're going to have to figure out. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure. True, and and that, again, is something we struggle with with the multiple running backs coming in and out. Will they notice tendencies, they being the opposing team's, as to what we're doing based on our personnel, and we never want that to be the case. Rodgers has missed a few assignments here and there, but he is a good pass protector, and they also said that McMillan had his best game in pass protection, so that's encouraging. And the last and final thing is only five penalties for 35 yards, and based on what's been going on, that's like a dream come true, five penalties. So happy to see that. We're going to have to transition into the bad now, and – we can talk about this all day, can't we? The the bad is summed up mainly by the defense, but also by a handful of coaching mistakes. And it's something that we talked about against Miami and I think could have cost us the game against Miami, although Motley's play didn't help. How about de- that, you know, that fumble on the first drive? The yeah. You can't have that happen when you're backed up that deep in your own I'm not going to blame the coaches for that one. But in this game, let's talk about the defense first. We couldn't stop Cirque all day. That QB draw was happening again and again, and he had 379 total yards. So, so what's what's the kryptonite of a Bud Foster defense? It's a guy who can stretch the field, and this ne- this isn't necessarily Thomas Sirk, but it's a guy who can stretch the field throwing the football and then take off running and make something out of nothing. And over and over again, you've seen Tech kind of fall to that Achilles heel where they're in a situation where you know they're facing a quarterback, they can't seem to stop him on the ground. And I think with Thomas Sirk, he's a guy entering the game who really couldn't throw the football against FBS opponents. And all of a sudden, he goes for 19 of 39, not a great completion percentage, but he throws for 270 yards and four touchdowns. You can't have that happen against a defense that was supposed to be top 15 in the country entering 
um, entering the season. So, I mean, this has just been a problem this plague tech for the last couple of years. And this weekend, I think it just showed even when you don't have a guy who can necessarily stretch the field, he's still going to kill you. And Bud Foster's defense, I'm kind of sick of this narrative that they're great, you know, because the last couple of seasons have been this bend but don't break mentality. And I think that has to stop in Blacksburg in order for Tech to take the next step in the next couple of years and at least get back to respectability. Yeah. I think the, the Cirque was an interesting uh, case study in somebody that wasn't very fast, um, was is strong, but he's only 220 pounds. We've gone up against a 240-pound, uh, I think 230-pound quarterback before. He's tall, but the play calling was so perfect against what Bud Foster's weaknesses are that it was amazing. Quarterback I, blast, you know? Right just uh, Yeah, and I think we all need to take a step back and, and think about Bud Foster, there's there's something happening with our talent. I, I do not believe that all of a sudden our secondary just can't play defense, that our linebackers you know, can't figure out what's going on. We have a talent issue that's going on um, in Blacksburg, and I think Bud is suffering with it. I think the offense is suffering. I, you know, there's a lot going on here beneath um, you know, the surface of the water of, of talent issues because the fact is, you know, I don't think Bud is the greatest thing that's ever happened. I think he is a really good defensive coordinator. You need to alert the national media of that because they seem to still be talking him up week by week. Well, it's true, but if you if you aren't getting the talent that you want, and let's be honest, when we were talking about this before the podcast started, we've lost a lot of really good talent out of state. You know what? They're sitting on the sidelines of Alabama and FSU right now in the defensive line. Except for maybe Josh Sweat, who's actually gotten a decent bit of playing time. For no, no. State I meant sitting, playing on the lines. Yeah, like oh, they're yeah, actually, yeah, playing on the lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think um, at the end of the day, I think Cirque ate us apart in this game. It was a huge, huge problem that we had to deal with. And I think it riddled out through the whole defensive strategy that we had for the game. And it happens every single time there's a mobile quarterback. We only had three tackles for loss in this game and zero sacks. And we had mentioned that it was going to be difficult to sack against this team because of the designed QB runs that they do, it doesn't leave a lot of opportunities for sacks. They had barely given up any sacks on the season. The only players I thought kind of had a good game, uh, Kenna Canham, he was getting a lot of pressure. We just couldn't sack Cirque. I mean, he had we had seven QB hurries in the game. Um, but Akanem was the only one I saw out there that like was really giving good effort. And he's been and he's been pretty disappointing this season to date. So it's been nice to kind of see him take that next step and bl- blitzing the quarterback. I mean, this is a guy that you know coming into the season. I mean, we expected him and Daddy Nicholas to to anchor at least the best defensive line in the ACC and probably one of the top three or four defensive lines in the country. And entering the game on Saturday. We only had one and a half sacks combined between Daddy and Kenny Canem. Yeah, neither one of them had had that breakout game we've been waiting for. And not that this was a breakout game for Canem, but maybe, and especially in light of what he said after the game, is, you know, he was one of the few players that said, we're not giving up on the season. You know, we're going to go out and play hard and et cetera, et cetera. I hope that Canem is back. I hope that he can inspire the other guys to really get after the quarterback in this next game because there's going to be some opportunities. As far as the guys who weren't playing so well, you could lump a bunch of dudes into this, but Moto, who I has been playing better, 
he was on his back a bunch of times in this game. He was getting blocked over and over again. He overran Cirque on the final play, which I don't want to spotlight it one us. play. Yeah, it killed but us. Yeah, yeah, that was it. He overran him, and it looked like we were going to have Cirque in the backfield in that two-point conversion at the end of the game and at least go to another overtime. I mean, how, how many tackles did he bounce off of on that play? Not even maybe tackles, but he ran to his own offensive lineman at least two or three times before getting into the end zone. Um, you know, that's... I mean, that just can't happen in that spot, you know, in the fourth overtime. You can't, I mean, you can't have a guy who's run on you all game. And all of a sudden, you know, Tech started to stop him a little bit in that overtime, right? So they had a couple of situations there where Cirque kind of took off running and we kind of keyed on it a little bit better. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, better late than never. But then you can't let Cirque just essentially bounce off his offensive lineman and then walk into the end zone in a situation that's that huge late in the game. I think the next one that, just pained me to watch and then pained me to watch again when I did the replay was Sean Wilson on the run option. Uh, and first daddy, daddy was the only one there. So he had to pick either the QB or the running back. Right. And he was trying to play both for a couple plays in that game where you would kind of split the middle and see if the pitch was going to come and then see which tackle he was going to go after. That's never going to go well. I mean, the whole play is designed to make you miss on that type of it's play. A, it's a complete read. You yeah. know? And then Alexander misses on the tackle on the sidelines by taking a bad angle. And that was actually supposed to be his, his tackle. That was supposed to be his play. He's the one that's in charge of getting that tackle. Guys, he's, he's going to be good, but I mean, he's, he's extremely young. I think he's out there before he's ready. In my opinion. I mean, he's got a lot of talent. You can see it in glimpses, but he's been out of position a few too many times, and I think we saw it in this game. And then the third was Terrell Edmonds on the open field tackle. So those are – Daddy almost gets away with it there. Uh, Adonis took a bad angle, and then Terrell just got juked on an open field tackle for that touchdown. That was probably the most heart, heart-wrenching heart part of the game for me was seeing that play on the on the option on, on the right sideline. Yeah, it was a comedy of errors, and it's only a comedy because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Because that was so painful to see those three guys take stabs at it and and just basically whiff. And and to the Alexander point is, if Revis was here, he wouldn't be on the field, and he would have a chance to learn. And unfortunately, he doesn't. And he is very good, and he's come up with big plays for us over and over again, but occasionally freshmen will show their inexperience and unfortunately it happened there with Alexander and Terrell but you know what daddy can't tackle a garbage can right now it, I mean it doesn't matter his hands whatever's going on with daddy his reads his physical abilities he can't tackle anyone and it's really sad to see a guy who we thought could be a higher round pick in the NFL draft now, probably dropping out of every draft board. And you know what? It's probably extremely disappointing for him because he gets the he gets he goes to the NFL draft board and you know the advisory board kind of comes back with the results. Now what those results were, we we're not really sure, but it was enough for him to stay in school. So I'm thinking, you know, after last season, Daddy probably thought he could he could get himself into the first you know first two rounds. And when the advisory board came back, I'm assuming they told him round three or later now that must have been it and that must have been it or else I think he should have been gone or would have been gone um and you know daddy's just been such a disappointment for the Hokies this year he's I I don't want to 
you know, put this into such a negative light. But, I mean, he was so good the first couple seasons he was with Tech that now he's been so bad this season, such a negative for that defense that's underperformed. He's a big reason why this defense as a whole has just not gotten untracked. I mean, you look at their secondary, we can talk about the issues that they have in the back in the back end of the defense. We can talk about the Kendall Fuller injury, how much that plays in, but a lot of this has to do with the pass rush that Ken and Canem and Daddy Nicholas have not been able to provide on the ends there for Virginia Tech and I think a lot of their um, inability to get to the quarterback has kind of uh, disrupted the back end of our secondary, and I think that that's a big reason why Tech's defense has underperformed. I mean, they're still a top 50 defense, but this is a defense that was supposed to be top 10, top 15 in the country coming into the season. They've significantly underperformed. We thought it was going to be an Alabama, LSU-type defense. With the guys we had coming back with the line, with Kendall in the back, I mean, we thought this was going to be one of the elite Tech defenses, and it is so far from it that it's it's painful, honestly. And it is when you have a leader like Daddy who thrives on sacking the quarterback and making big plays and his speed, and he's the kind of guy that fires up all the other guys we talked about last week. It's not there. It's it's. And honestly, I'm I'm to the point where I'm wondering if it's hurting the team. Like, should we be playing Seth Dooley? Should we be playing Mahota? I don't even know who we have defensive end. It's not very deep right now. Yep. Uh, and if it was deeper, say we had gotten Josh Sweat, as you guys kind of jokingly mentioned earlier, he'd be playing in front of Daddy right now. Yeah, and I felt like that was pretty much a shoe-in for Florida State. Once I heard he was on the fence, he took that late visit down to Tallahassee with the Seminoles. I, I You know, just covering the ACC as a whole, when I heard he was going down there, with the state of Tech's program right now, so much is in flux, and now you hear this week, you know, you know, Beamer might go, and it's kind of been the writing on the wall type of thing. But I, you know, this is the one big fault on Virginia Tech the last couple of seasons. You know, we've always been able to recruit in state from that Tidewater area, and letting Josh Sweat slip away is completely unacceptable. I mean, they were in a position where you know Sweat could have been a guy to come in and and play he'd on the be end. playing and he'd be playing right now especially with daddy's struggles i mean you have a guy to plug in there and see hey you know at least he can you know he might provide a change of pace might be able to make some big plays as a freshman you know we can see some of that and i don't know you know we don't know what the issue with daddy is you know a little bit injured okay but you know he's a guy defensive end who was such a force the you know last couple seasons that it was so disappointing to see him underperform this entire season to date that you know a guy like josh sweat would you know, would help incredibly on that defensive side of the football. Well, I think it's safe to say we were bad on all three levels of the defense against Duke, and it showed in that overtime when they scored on one play and then Cirque ran over. uh, Luther was the last one, I think, that he ran over into the end zone, and we lost. But we have to move on. We're going to preview BC, but before we do... We need to talk about these coaching mistakes that happened in this game because if a few things had gone differently, we could have still had this game despite the defense's struggles. And I want to start with Trayvon because that's someone me and Robbie have talked about a lot. In the first half, and this uh, Mason Nauman over at Key Play wrote, a, wrote an article today, and he mentioned this stat, and it's something that I had seen and he verified. In the first half, we had 12 first down plays. Trayvon McMillan carried the ball on two of those two. That is completely unacceptable. About as unacceptable as not starting him until the NC state game. This is a guy averaging eight yards a carry as well. 
So, I mean, what's your excuse to not get him the football? I don't really understand why it took so long to kind of unravel him as our primary back. I don't really, I, I, I just don't get it, you know. And this is a this is a thing that Scott Loeffler has just kind of struggled with the last couple of seasons is getting his athletes, and Tech has a lot of athletes, getting them in the right positions to make plays. He's a good guy, and at times we need a good guy head coach, which we have. We need a tough, rugged you know, <laughs> coordinators that will tell you when you're not going to play. And guess what, JC? And guess what, Trey? You didn't earn it. And, you know, it's not a matter of whether, you know, you work harder. Sometimes you're just not as skilled as the next guy. And, and JC's had and JC's had plenty of chances. And you can make the same argument for Trey Edmonds, although he fought injury most of last year, some of it his fault, you know, with – you know, I mean, some some of it his fault, some of it not. As far as you know, the play call, you know, the play calling and putting him in situations where he can't be successful. But with the injuries, I mean, that's something that's kind of out of his control. Yeah, but nobody has demonstrated, and even Trey during, on his best plays have not demonstrated what McMillan has demonstrated. He came off some. I think there must have been probably five, six, seven plays where he should have gotten negative yardage absolutely negative yardage on those plays. And he turned them into two or three or four or five yard runs, which that is the sign of somebody that is confident, that is ready to go out there and be a starting quarter or a starting running back. And I just don't know why it took so long for us to all figure out that he was the guy, uh, you know, the fans were clamoring for it, but they were for a reason because you could see his vision when he was on the field. You could see his excitement and the power that he brought to the run game, and I thought it was very evident in this game. And that's the thing that was so alarming about this game is you've already seen it against NC State, and you saw it the week before, and now in the first half, you still don't give it to him. I, I, I was fuming about this more than anything else in this game is why isn't Trayvon getting the ball? Five carries in the first half. Five for our seemingly stud running back that is unacceptable unacceptable he had ended with 29 carries and 142 yards imagine what he would have had if you would have given it to him in the first half maybe we wouldn't have been down eight points at the end of the game or down 21 10 at one point it, it's it's ridiculous i said it in a tweet Leffler doesn't know his ass from his elbows. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing shane beamer doesn't know what the hell he's doing and it really pisses me off Let's just step away from the running well, back unless well, you have one more point. One, yeah, one more point, and I'm going to make this, and I'm going to see if you guys agree with me, Robbie and Pete. Listen, um, it seems like every time this tech coaching staff, as currently constituted, makes a good decision, they make a couple of bad decisions. I'm going to lay out a couple of points for you guys. Trayvon McMillan, that's point number one. So we finally make the decision to go away from this three this three-headed monster running back we go back to our roots, the Lee Suggs days, the David Wilson days, the Ryan Wilson day, or the Ryan Williams days, excuse me. The days where Tech had a primary running back, everybody kind of built off of that. We get back to that, but maybe too late. Then we look at the quarterback position. We have the injury to Brewer. We bring in, we bring in, um, you know, um, Brendan Motley. Brendan Motley, excuse me. Yeah, so we bring in Brendan Motley. He struggles. Then we burn Dwayne Lawson's red shirt. It's like, okay, so we're going to showcase him, right? And then they don't play him at all, even when Brendan Motley's struggling. So that's an issue. We can go on down the list, but then when you have a guy on defense 
you know, like like a CJ Revis, you lose him, and then you all of a sudden start putting plugging guys in as freshmen, hoping that they'll make plays, and then they don't, and you don't make the adjustment to a guy like a Donovan Riley, to a guy like a Desmond Fry, that can kind of make up for these mistakes in the secondary for for Alexander, who's kind of been out of position. I mean, it seems like time and time again, we have these running backs that come in. And, and these guys in the secondary that we feel like can make plays, and then we don't put them in positions to win the game. And then you have a guy like Greg Stroman, right? He plays well in the bowl game on defense. Then he struggles throughout most of the early part of the season in the secondary. Finally, you move him to the offensive side of the football where he can make plays. We've seen what he can do when he gets running in the right direction on, on the kick returns, on the punt returns. And we finally move him to offense. And you don't get Stroman the ball in a situation where he can be successful. He's a guy that can be a playmaker on the offensive side of the football. You can run him in the jet sweep situations. You can get the ball in his hands on some quick screens and, and get him out in a space where he can perform because we've seen what he can do in the return game. It just seems like time and time again they make the right decisions. Yeah. And then when, they, when it comes time to adjust and, and you know put these guys in a position where they can be successful, they just don't do it. And that's a huge issue with the coaching staff at this point. Yeah, sometimes our game plan looks like it's already scripted out before the game even starts, and we have tough time adjusting to that. And if when we do adjust, it doesn't end up happening until the second half. And I think there were real choices that were made in this game that actually had problems with them. We're up against the ropes, and then we punt on fourth and short, and then that was absolutely it was outrageous. inexcusable. It was inexcusable. We go for two in the third quarter, and then with Motley. But I, I don't understand what was happening. The pocket literally, the didn't it didn't get broken up. The pocket actually exploded. And like, if it I looked recall, like there was a grenade there. And if I recall, and I recall correctly, yeah. Brewer let us up the field. I yeah. mean, am I wrong? And That's all of a, a sudden, now it's time to put Brendan Motley in? Yeah. Then we're on third and two in the final drive of the game. And then we have uh, Roger's shoe came off. So he was not going to be able to uh, get it. I understand. It but, happens. And, it ha- I mean, that stuff happens in a football and, game. But and guess what? Trey's in there instead of Trayvon, which maybe they got the you know, the names mixed up and who was supposed to be in there running that on a third and two on the final drive. Of Everybody the game. in the stadium knows what's coming. Right. And that was inexcusable. I understand that he had been running a lot in the second half, but afterwards and in today's press conference, I think he said just a few hours ago, he said, I was not tired, and I could take more runs than that. And the fact is that when you have a workhorse and he's ready to kind of run the ball, and he's been doing that well in that game, and he's at 100 and whatever yards, you, you put him in. And you, you don't him take run. him out. Exactly. You, you don't take him out of the game. And that's not even getting into the onside's kick or any of those other numbers. These are just plays. That's not even getting into some of the other things that happen, like the running clock, which that is also inexcusable. So let me let me just recap the inexcusable coaching things that happened. Five carries for Trayvon in the first half. Subbing in Motley on a two-point conversion. Onside kick miscommunication, which happened last year against Duke on a punt where we faked a punt when we weren't supposed to, and yet now we onside kick a ball when we're supposed to dribble it down the field. The end of the game clock fiasco where no coach looks at the clock. It was the same. It was the same thing against East Carolina too. I mean, we're oh, in a situation yeah. where we're down. Blunders we're everywhere. down, I, and we're down two touchdowns with nine or ten minutes left in the ball game. And it's like you know you have to have more of a sense of urgency now. I understand that was just a couple games. I mean, we played Furman, we played Purdue. 
teams that don't necessarily stack up to an East Carolina. I mean, Purdue is from, yes, they're from a Power 5 conference, but we've seen how much they've struggled over the past couple seasons. They have one win over an FCS team. Right. So, I mean, that that should tell you everything you need to know there. And they go into the East Carolina game, Virginia Tech, and we're down two touchdowns with time dwindling on the clock. And then you decide you're going to go no huddle, but you're not going up tempo. You're just not huddling up. I mean, I can't. I can't tell you the number of times that the play clock ticked right down below 10 seconds on that drive right before they scored a touchdown. Thank God Cam Phillips comes across the middle and breaks what whatever it was, a 40 or 50-yard catch, and puts him, into, puts him into a red zone, puts him inside the 10-yard line, and gives him, you know, puts him in position to score a touchdown there with probably six or seven minutes to go. Or else with probably three or four minutes left, they'd still be trying to figure out how to get in the end zone down two touchdowns. And that's the same thing that happened this game. We're down eight points. And in my head, I'm thinking, we need to get down the field and score. Because if we miss this two-point conversion, we need to leave enough time to get the ball back. And they are looking to the sideline, lollygagging to the line of scrimmage. And that's because of the coaches. That's not because of the players. Not well coached. You can't get the plays in. It, it's unbelievable. And I think the icing on the cake Although you could say it was the end of the game clock fiasco, I'm going to try and give him the benefit of the doubt because we all thought the clock stopped. You're brave, Pete. The 67-yard field goal. Are you effing kidding me? I think the NCAA record was a 67-yard field goal, so if Frank tries to fall back on that, you know, go F yourself. But 67-yard field goal? Have you ever heard of anyone making a six? And at least try a Hail Mary or something. And Joey Sly is a good kid. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with his story. He had the issue; his brother was sick, and he I co- love Joey Sly. He's a great, and he's he's a great kid, and he's a very good caker, and he's been good for his first couple seasons at Blacksburg. But you know, even with him going out making you know forty yard, fifty yard field goals, I mean, sixty seven yards. It's absurd to just even ask that of a kid. You got a you got a better chance of throwing a hail mary and scoring off of that with Michael Brewer than putting Sly you know make, making Sly kick a field goal. And the, the chance of the and there's a chance of the return. The you're actually six. you're actually getting Pete in the background here, to, to, like to chiming in on other people's comments. I mean the kick. Point. I mean the kick six with Auburn Alabama two years ago. You have the punt that happened last week with Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, there are these situations, it seems like, week after week, and then later in the night, you know, the Florida State-Georgia Tech game, with, with that whole thing, with, you know, Roberto Aguayo is obviously more than capable of making a field goal of 47, 48 yards, whatever it was. But, I mean, with all the special teams happenings in college football right now, you would think that Frank wouldn't even think to try that. And all of a sudden, they're trotting out Joey Sly to try to kick a 67-yard field goal. Yeah. I mean, it's unexcusable from their from their inability to stop to stop the clock. They had a timeout. They didn't use it. There was all sorts of confusion. Brewer showed some frustration after the game, coming out in the press conference and saying, I don't know why you know we didn't realize that the clock was ticking down. I knew it, but we wouldn't call a timeout on the sideline. I'm waiting for the play to come in. We can't decide whether to spike it or not, and... I don't put that on Brewer at all. I think Brewer is one of the few guys left. It's not Brewer's job to be. His job is to get the ball in the end zone. His job is not to be calling timeouts when the clock is running. That is 100% on the coaching staff. And he's one of the few guys left on the roster who I feel like is playing for pride. I mean, he's a fifth year senior. He's a guy who, I mean, this is probably his last shot 
at, at doing anything athletically, you know, as far as football is concerned, you know, we can argue whether or not he'll get himself, you know, into an NFL camp. And I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of short for the position, but you know, that hasn't stopped a guy like Russell I'll Wilson. I'll pay money to get him in an NFL camp. Well, that kid's got heart. And he, yeah. And he, and he does work his ass off and he's a guy that, um, you know, has a high football IQ and he's shown it, um, he's shown it at times, you know, we struggled a little bit last year. We can, we can argue a play calling had a little bit to do with that, but He's a guy that time and time again has been able to um, has been able to make some plays. With that, I think we uh, we're going to stop it for a quick beer break and get into it, and then after that, we're going to preview this uh, as I've been calling it the shootout that's going to happen up in Chestnut Hill because this looks like a high scoring game. Well, I think the next question that we have to deal with after um, going through a lot there is what are you drinking here, Pete? And Mike as well, because I think, Mike, you've also had some of it. So what are you guys uh, What are you guys drinking, and is it good? I'm drinking the Calling IPA. It's from Boulevard Brewing, and it's an 8.5% alcohol IPA from Kansas City, Missouri, and it is delightful. It's kind of got a little bit of a sweet aspect to it, but I could really have at least six to seven of these before, you know, I would pass out blind drunk. So that that's nice. I, I like it. Uh, Mike, what are you drinking? Uh, Perpetual IPA. Uh, also out of calling as well. Uh, can't disagree with you on the calling. I, I was I was on board with that as well. Um, yeah, Perpetual IPA from Treggs Brewing Company, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, 7.5% alcohol, very good. Uh, pretty smooth for an IPA as well, which... You always like so. Yeah, both of these IPAs I thought were pretty smooth. We're gonna. I picked them. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why Robbie picked the beer this week, and he did a good job. These are both good beers. He texted me about as well, you know, by mistakes. That was good too. So, BC has a coach we all know, Steve Adazio. This is his third year at BC, and he coached with Scott Leffler actually at Florida and Temple at Temple. Adazio was the head coach and Leffler was the offensive coordinator and Adazio was such a good coach that he actually got Leffler the job at Auburn as the OC the following year because we know that Leffler wasn't the reason he got that job. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Some anger coming out of you there, Pete. So Adazio is 17 and 17 overall at BC. He's 8 and 13 in the ACC, 3 and 5 this year, but he's 0 and 5 in ACC play this year. So they're struggling. And two of their three wins were against FCS teams because of a uh, scheduling quirk. But Adazio runs a, you would say, a run first style, I think is safe to say. He's an O line and offensive coordinating guy. He's offensive centric and he likes to pound the football. He likes an aggressive defense, and all of his teams are known for being extremely tough. And he goes by the saying of be a dude, which I I just came to the realization today, that's why Loeffler has been calling McMillan a dude. A dude. But uh, there's a few things about BC I just want to say before we get into previewing their offense is – this past week they lost Kareem or Cameron Moore, I should say. He's a cornerback. They lost him to a leg injury. And that has been, unfortunately, the story of BC's season. They have lost a ton of players to injury, including their starting quarterback, Darius Wade, their starting running back, John Hillman, their tight end, Michael Gianco, two wide receivers in Glines and Garrison, and 
their latest two injuries have been to their current quarterback, Jeff Smith, who suffered a concussion against Louisville. And Rouse, their running back, also left the game against Louisville. So it has been so rough for the Eagles this season. They have lost so many guys to injury. And it shows in their offense, as you notice, most of those guys, except for Cameron Moore, have all been from the offense side. And their stats back it up. If we don't see Wade this weekend, it'll probably be Troy Flutie, nephew of Doug Flutie. So God, he's fun, been he's been bad. <laughs> that's a that's just a fun side note. But uh, I want to talk about their QBs first, I guess, and then we'll get into their their running backs and wide receivers. Flutie, as we just mentioned, he'll probably start this game because of the concussion of Jeff Smith, and that's a really good thing for us. It's it, uh, you know abysmal for him is. Uh, an understatement. He, it, that's been right. Let's all right. Let's let's take a tone off here. BC has suffered. We talk about injuries for a lot of teams. TCU's taken a lot of injuries this year. There's a lot of teams that have taken. BC, BC's taken a just a pounding on injuries. Uh, reading those off doesn't even do it justice. They are on their third string quarterback at this point because. Guess what? Flutie would not be starting. And in fact, they're actually going to, I think they're actually going to put in their walk on. Um, I think it's John Fadul, Fadule, whatever you want to call him. That's going to be their starter, probably. It's not, it's not good. Yeah. So let's let's take a step back and realize what they're doing with, uh, doing right now with Adazio trying to build up a team dealing with this kind of injury situation. I think. Starting with the offense, their offensive line actually started the year halfway decent and turned into absolutely abysmal. What they did against Louisville was atrocious. They let up eight sacks, which I don't remember the last time that's happened to a team that I can recall, but that's not good. And that's not – Louisville has a – a pretty solid team, but it's not that strong that they should be letting up eight sacks. The offensive line, I think, is going to be a real problem for them. It looks like with Rouse out that they might be, and that's his second concussion. He already had one earlier this year, which is unfortunate. I mean, if you want to stack up how bad things have been against this offense, um, he's they didn't put the media notes uh, in for the injury report this week, which means he's definitely out because they're not trying to tip their hand. What are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, just a quick plug, uh, just on my part, I wrote a column on inside the com a couple of weeks ago where I was kind of discussing, you know, if Boston college kind of found a quarterback with the defense that they have and with the opponents they face, I mean, they shut down, Dalvin Cook at Florida State for the most part in that game up at Chestnut Hill nearly pulled off the upset, you know, before Jalen Ramsey, you know, has the has the scoop and score on the fumble. But Boston College has a defense that's so good that if their offense was even mediocre, they'd be a top twenty five team, especially with how weak this ACC has been this year. But with all the injuries and just their inability to throw the football, I mean, no matter who the quarterback's been, they've had issues protecting the quarterback. They've had issues throwing the ball down the field. You know, if they just had a guy back there that could even just, you know, complete a 10 or 15-yard pass, I mean, it seems like they're having issues even doing that at this point. 
and you know injuries aside if if they were able to do that they they'd be a team that i mean would would be in the running in the ACC they'd be a team that would would be you know a top a top 5 team in the conference yeah bc's got minus 14 yards rushing in the louisville game which that that's actually disturbing i i think we've actually reached the point of that's not bad that's just like something is going wrong with the program their rushing offense is ranked right around 70 i think or 69 in the s&p a far they cry, a, it's a far cry from where they were with andre williams that that i mean this was a rushing offense that was you know give it the hands off to what what used to happen with Adazio's offense was you had oversized offensive linemen that could push around defensive linemen, and then he would find a way to pull a running back out of nowhere like Andre Williams and have him rush to the point where if he didn't break his leg, I mean, he was a Heisman candidate. I, what happened during those years uh, hasn't been able to replicate itself, and it's it's sad. So... I don't know if we have to talk about it that much because this offense is atrocious and in a lot of different ways. Not all of it is their fault. They're on the (laughs) second and third string of almost every position you can find other than their offensive line, and then even their offensive line let them down in this last game with eight sacks. I want to say that we need this is good for us in that they're on Troy Flutie. He's probably going to start the game. You mentioned Fadul. He'll, I assume that he'll be the backup, but who knows at this point. But Jeff Smith, although he only passes, he only completing 30, 33% of his passes, he runs the ball well. And if there's any Achilles heel for Bud Foster's defense, we know it's a good running quarterback. So if Jeff Smith was in the game, all of a sudden I'm concerned. If Jeff Smith doesn't play, then... I'd be shocked if BC got more than 10 points on Virginia Tech's defense because we have been able to contain true ball carriers and we've been able to do okay against mediocre passers, which Troy Flutie, at best, is a mediocre passer. That's going to be a big storyline. Do we see any of Jeff Smith in this game? It looks like he's going to be out, like we like we just spoke about, so... It's, I like, bit, it's huge. That's that's and the difference in the game. It's the difference. I, it is the difference in the game. And with as bad as Boston College's offense has been, it's even worse when they don't have the running threat at quarterback with Jeff Smith because Virginia Tech's defense, time and time again, has shown that inability to stop that. So it is the difference in the game. Even with Tech's defense underperforming this year, I don't see Boston College scoring more than 10 points. I don't either. And, you know, this game could easily end up 10-9. 13-9, and you can laugh, but there is... Uh, they The Wake Forest game against BC ended 3-0 Wake Forest. So, I and last year, we were Wake Forest's one and only win in ACC play, and we could be BC's one and only win in ACC play. I was play. about to say it's Wake Forest Part 2, potentially. It really is. It really is. All right, so we didn't fully complete our thought there, but we will in the BC defense, because this is... We talked a little bit last week, you and me, Pete, about whether Duke was for real and whether that defense was for real or they just played teams that didn't live up to, to par. Um, I think this week is interesting because Duke 
by a lot of different measures, has one of the top defenses in the country. And that's going up against a couple of tough teams, not uh, maybe a ton, but now evidently you're shaking your head and you think no. So they're second in total defense. They allow 217 yards per game. And uh, they lead the nation in rushing defense at 62 yards per game. But I guess you're about to tell us why everybody that they played wasn't good and why BC's defense isn't isn't that good, which I will disagree with. No, that's not what I was going to say. I was shaking my head because I was saying everyone that Duke played was bad. BC hasn't played the toughest schedule in the world, but this defense is good. The BC defense is number two overall total defense only giving up 217 yards per game they're number one against the rush they're number seven against the pass and they're third in scoring something we saw similar to duke last week in that duke was second in scoring and now we're facing the third in scoring but unlike duke i think that this defense is way more legit than the defense we just faced nc state is also way up there in defense and you saw what we did to them but this BC defense is for real. They're ninth in sacks, getting three and a quarter per game, and they're second in tackles for loss in the nation with 9.6 per game. So they like to get in your backfield, and I'm a little worried they might be in ours a bunch. I said a little while ago that their front seven is very good, and it's more it's dirty. This is a very, very good front seven, and I guess it comes from their linebackers that's that's been bc's mo uh you can go back many years uh you can hit keekly who's the major one but they've always had good linebackers what do you think about these linebackers mike this is not the game to run this offense where we go lateral this is a game where you have to get up and down the field you can't you can't run the side to side this front seven is way too good to boston college i've been watching them all year this is a group that gets after it. They shut down some of the best running backs in the ACC. Trayvon McMillan is white hot right now, but we need to get him going up and down the field. We need to go get him running straight forward. Um, we'd like to give him the ball going left to right across the formation, a lot of jet sweeps, but you got to get him going right up and down the field in the right direction or else this Boston College front seven is just way too good, way too fast. Tech's running game will not get untracked. I mean, that's just kind of... It's just what's going to happen. I think the the key there and what you're getting at is is the linebacking core because usually when you can't go side to side and end zone to end zone or sideline to sideline, it's usually the linebackers that can get out there quick and they can actually, you know, stop people on the outside. I think that the one place that we might have a little bit of an opening is their defensive line is very very strong. I think their linebacking core is actually stronger than that. So. I think where where I'm seeing it is, let's just send them Trayvon up the up the up the middle as soon as the offense actually gets a little push. The offensive line, maybe they do, maybe they don't. It's kind of been a a whim game to game whether that's actually going to happen. Um, but their their linebackers are are beasts, so that's going to be that's going to be big trouble for us. If Scott Loeffler was smart in this game. He would run a little bit more of Trey Edmonds. Uh, we've seen him in situations that have been pretty predictable, third and short, second and short, a situation where you know it's coming right up the gut. I mean, Trey Edmonds is a guy that's a power runner. If you're going to use Trey Edmonds in any game, I think this is the one 
especially if Trayvon McMillan can't get going early. I disagree. And the reason why is because I don't want to see any more Trey and JC. I only want to see McMillan because Trey can't find holes and neither can JC. The only person that's shown any ability to find holes or break tackles, regardless of height or weight, is McMillan. He's got the burst. That that and that's what I'm saying. And he'll shake people off. And and more than anything else, him and and Rogers are the only ones that I've seen that can actually find a hole and hit it. And Trey is a load, and I like Trey, and he's a good dude. But so often he picks the wrong way to go. I get that. Uh, my whole thing is with Trayvon McMillan, we haven't seen a ton of. Inside stuff. Inside stuff. Run straight up the middle. And that's more of what I'm getting at. If we can't get Trayvon McMillan going right up the middle, we know Trey Edmonds is a guy that they're willing to send right up the gut. Now, whether or not it'll be successful is another thing. But if Trayvon McMillan can't get going on runs right up the middle, you know, these inside these inside runs off the, off the guards, uh, I think it's something to consider. I'm not saying that should be our first option. I think that Trayvon McMillan is the guy in the offense right now outside of Bucky Hodges in the passing game. McMillan is everything we got on offense right now. So if they can't get him going up the middle, I think that putting Trey Edmonds in a situation like that would not be a bad idea. Or I think where you might be going is our, our favorite intermediary, which is Sam Rogers. Yeah, fullback that... I've never seen anybody run as hard and push as hard and fight for every inch as what Sam Rogers does. And he's actually a pretty powerful guy. If you can get some momentum going for him, and he's actually done pretty well. Not great. I'm not going to say that he's he's been, you know, you know, revolutionizing the world on the inside zone, but he's done pretty well there. So maybe that's our counterbalance because the 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 swap between Trayvon and Sam has actually worked kind of well with that that power inside and then having Trayvon go a little bit out on an outside zone or even a sweep. So that maybe that's another way to go to accomplish both things, which is the power of, of Trey, but it's in the form of, of Sam Rogers. And the walk on we all love, so you can't you can't help but uh but enjoy that. And and one quick thing, uh We've just seen so much of Trey Edmonds in the single back formations. We haven't seen much of Sam Rogers in that situation. Um, he's been more a guy out of you know out of shotgun where we've kind of handed the ball to on draw plays, stuff like that. I agree with you. Uh, if they're willing to give Sam Rogers the ball in a single back formation, I think they should go that route before going Trey Edmonds. I just know what we've seen more more of Trey Edmonds in that situation, so it, it's more logical that they'll that they'll go that route. But um, I, I agree. I think Sam Rogers would be the best option if they're going to go with a power running attack right up the middle. More logical because of what we've seen, but not more logical in, in terms of what might work. And I, and I understand the difference. Getting back to the BC defense, they have four guys with 10-plus tackles for loss, which is ridiculous through eight games. Matt Milano at, run, at uh, linebacker, Stephen Daniels at linebacker with 12-and-a-half tackles for loss, which is just crazy production. And Harold Landry, at defensive end, and Mehdi, I'm going to mess this up, but Mehdi Abdamad at defensive tackle, he's got 10.5 tackles for loss. That is ridiculous. To have four guys in your de- – we, we don't have any guys over seven tackles for loss on our team. They've got four over ten. So they, they camp out in your backfield. So this is why we're stressing over who's going to be carrying the football. They get after you. Who 
who's going to be lying on their back in the Virginia Tech backfield, I guess is what we're talking about. But their linebackers as a whole are, are amazing. Um, the one we didn't mention was uh, Connor Strachan. Uh, six and a half tackles for loss, 47 tackles on the season. He's their lead, uh, second leading tackler, uh, the only second to Daniels, who has been a beast. Daniels has five sacks. Milano has five and a half sacks. These guys are are everywhere. On I mean, against Louisville, Daniels had an amazing game. Milano showed a progression, and both these guys have developed throughout the season. That's the thing about BC is they know how to develop these linebackers. They're not just they're not they never are playing talent. BC is developing talent. I think your point is Adazio. Adazio knows how to develop talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and that's one of the most impressive things that he he does. Let's give a little bit of love to. There's not much, but in their their corners, Isaiah uh, Yadam is uh, he's going to be on Isaiah Ford all day. He's their man, and if if Ford's out there and he's. Uh, He's playing, then that's the guy that's going to be on him. We have one other. They lost their defensive back. Did we talk about um, Cameron Moore? He had a leg injury. I think it was in the last game. They're going to be swapping in with one of their converted wide receivers. Oh, converting uh, wide receivers to defensive players. I think we've seen that we before. That, yeah. Yeah, I think we know that. Uh, Gabe McClary, he'll be taking over for him. So, overall, I'm a little bit kind of frightened about this defense. I don't know how everybody else feels, but this is a solid group. I think they can cause us a lot of trouble. And I don't know, what are your overall thoughts, Mike? Well, some of it originally was that Boston College's defense has played a pretty soft schedule. Um, and, and that was some of the initial reaction, you know, when seeing how highly they've been ranked. But after seeing what they did to Dalvin Cook about a month and a half ago, um, on that weird weeknight game that they had, I think it was a Friday. Uh, you know, it was pretty easy to tune into that one. You know, with Dalvin Cook doing what he's doing to the entire ACC right now, it, it scares you a little bit to think, you know, Trayvon Mill- McMillan's been red hot, and he's a guy that's been able to produce a lot of offense just by himself. He's been able to shake some guys off, break some tackles, and kind of make some of these runs out on his own, not even because of the offensive line blocking. So, if he gets shut down, I mean, it scares me a little bit just because of how well Michael Brewer came back and played last weekend. I don't see, you know, if McMillan gets shut down, I just don't see a situation where Michael Brewer is going to be able to throw the football with the efficiency and success he's had, um, not only in the Ohio State game when we couldn't run the ball at all, we just had a good game plan, but this past weekend uh, where, you know, against Duke where we had established the run and the play-action pass kind of opened up and Brewer was able to throw the football with some success so I'm just worried that we'll become one-dimensional and we're not a good enough team right now on the offensive side of the football you know to uh to to be able to be one-dimensional for a long period of time I agree and my biggest complaint with Leffler has always been he never has a plan b he will adjust at halftime here and there but against Pitt he he passed the whole game that's what he decided he wanted to do, and he didn't change. And in this game, he might see, oh, they're really good against the rush because you know Leffler looks at the stats because he quotes them every press conference that he's going to be like, oh, well, we need to pass. And Brewer might have 50 pass attempts this game. Like, it's, I hope that's not the case because we need to make sure that we run Trayvon. I realize that they tackle well. Their secondary 
tackles extremely well. The loss of Cameron Moore is really good for us because it will allow us to pass better. But all of those guys tackle well. So regardless of if you're able to get to Isaiah Ford or Cam or Bucky in space, they're taking you down. You're going to have to sustain drives. It's going to be hard to get those big plays on this team. And just a real quick comment. I was actually in the stands at Lane Stadium for that Pittsburgh game. And for me and for, you know, I was I was visiting my sister who was still in school there. And for us to be able to call the plays from the stands, you know. It, that's bad. I mean, and it's been like that for a couple seasons now. And we, we've kind of gotten into the play calling enough already. But, you know, from an offensive standpoint, we were so one-dimensional in that game that when you can call the plays from the stands, you know it's an issue. And this is something that we've kind of dealt with year to year since, you know, seemingly since since 2011 when they were in the conference championship game. I will say that's why it's so interesting. All the names that are on the table, if and if something were to happen with the coaching, they exist on a lot of the offensive side of the ball. And they are very interesting names because they're the people that don't play one dimensional, that they do mix it out or they play so one dimensional but you play in a way like a spread. Those are some of the names that have been on the table. It's been very interesting to see what's coming up in the offseason. And it's funny you say that thing about being able to call the plays from the stands because I was having a conversation with my friend Nick the other night. He was at the game last week, and he was sitting in the south end zone. So he was like, it was kind of cool because I was able to see how they're lining up. And he's like, I swear I could look at the formation and know exactly what we were going to do. You send the guy time. in motion, you know it's a sweep or a fake jet sweep. It's like, if I know that from the south end zone, what is Duke knowing from being right on the field? Like, that's sad. That's not how it should be. And quite frankly, we, you know that I'm tired of it, you're tired of it, and everything else. I want to just, let's sum it up with our keys to the game. What we think is... I'm a little nervous about this BC defense, as we've said. But I think we can exploit a couple things. And with the loss of Cameron Moore, they have a good secondary, but it's by far the weakest area of their team. With Ford, Cam, and Bucky, we're going to make some plays down the field, some 15 yards plus. And Ford's got gotten open every game. We know that. Uh, Isaac Yedem will be on him. He's... Kind of a shutdown corner, but no one can shut down Isaiah Ford. He'll make his catches, and if nothing else, it will only leave Cam and Bucky more wide open. Brewer's got to get the ball out quick, at least quicker than he did last week. Uh, he was shaking some rust off, and I get that, but a few times he held on to it way too long, led to some really deep sacks, not just like five-yard sacks, like 17-yard sacks. Absolutely can't do this against that BC pass rush. No way. Can't do it. And we still have to try to run. And that's my last key is you can't give up on it. What happened in the last game was unacceptable. What happened in the first half and only giving five rushes to McMillan, it cannot happen again if we expect to actually make a bowl game this year. So if we do what we think we should be able to against Boston College, which is defend what is a very hurting offensive team, and actually, on their side, with our defense, which it's not great, but it's going to be better than probably mediocre with what they've faced, we cannot 
not abandon the run the, the way that we did in this last game. And if we don't establish that, then we don't have a chance in our last games going out of this year. And that is just not, that's not acceptable. To your point on defense, I expect Luther and Akanem to have big games. This offensive line is 126th in the country in giving up tackles for loss. They're giving up over eight per game. This is a feeding frenzy for the defensive line if they were ever going to have one. And Luther has played as good as any of our defensive linemen have all year. So I expect Maddie to have a good game. Akanem, based on what I saw last week, he'll step up. I don't know what to expect from Daddy, but he'll have his opportunities. You know, he's not going to be sat on the bench. So he'll be out there and he will have his opportunities to take him down with his lobster hands. And I expect Loeffler to bring the house all game. I expect to see a lot of the bear uh, aggressive against the run and pass, especially against these quarterbacks. Just if you can avoid the big play, we'll win this game. But we've seen that big play against almost every team, even Purdue at a 60 yard run on us. But if you can avoid points are going to be precious. If you can avoid that big touchdown run, we will be all right. I mean, they're on their third-string quarterback and their third-string running back at this point. I mean, this is as good a time as any for the defense to have their best game of the season when points are at a premium. And I'm ready to see Deion Clark make some plays. You know what I mean? Um, he, Deion he, Clark doesn't exist on the defense. And he, he essentially... Not, he had a bad game this past game. He essentially sure. He's essentially disappeared. And he's a guy that last year Tech relied on so much. You know, the defensive line was getting a bigger push. And Deion Clark seemed to always be there to clean it up. And he's he a guy... seemed to start to turn things around the NC State game. And we're not seeing it anymore. At least these past two games, it hasn't been the case. And it's a bummer. Because you're right. We did expect big things from him. And he's a guy who had a very good game against NC State. He had a slow start to his season. Great against NC State. Okay against Miami. Very, very bad this past weekend against Duke. And... I think he goes as the defensive line goes. If defensive line has a good game, I think Deion Clark has a good game. At least that's how it's been the last couple of years. So last week against Louisville, they combined with BC for 30 tackles for loss and 14 sacks. And could we see 20-plus tackles for loss in this game between the two teams? It's possible. That would probably mean that we're having a pretty good game in the backfield, but we'll see. Or lobster hands. It's going to be ugly. This is going to be an ugly game. I expect to see a lot of guys taken down behind the line of scrimmage, but we'll see how it plays out. And now we're going to do our picks. So the VT line is two and a half, and we're the favorites. Even though we're in Chestnut Hill, I would assume that we would have been the favorites, but anytime we're up there, we normally don't play so well, so I'm a little nervous about the line. I picked VT the last two weeks, and we've lost the last two weeks. I'm, <laughs> I don't know what to do here because I do think we're a superior team. It's just that we have sucked, and our coaches have sucked, and there's definitely a chance we could be the lone win for BC in ACC play because they're already on five and they're probably not going to beat anyone else. But I'm still going to take Tech 
to cover the spread because if we don't cover two and a half, it probably means we lose. And I think we're winning this game. Maybe it's on a Joey Sly field goal. I'm not sure, but I'm going to take Tech. Mike, what do you think? Tech covers by a field goal. Joey Sly. Um, he's a guy that tried a 67 yard field goal last week. So, would so that he's be, ready. He's ready for this. So this. he's ready for this one. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'll take Tech on the road. Boston College's offense is just so inept right now. Injuries or not, they're bad. Um, they were bad when they had guys healthy. They're even worse now for obvious reasons. So I'll take the Hokies. I think Michael Brewer is playing too well right now to pick against Tech. Um, you know, I was expecting Brewer to be a little bit rusty. The most rust we saw out of him was holding on to the ball a little bit too long. So I'll take it. I got the Hokies by a field goal. It's going to be ugly. A 13-10 to 10 game, 16-13, to 13, something like that. Um, I just think Tech has too much offense, and that's kind of laughable. But I'll take the Hokies. Well, for once, we have too much offense, which is kind of a nice thing to hear. Chestnut Hill's a tough place to play. I've said this again and again and again, only because I went to school at Boston College. I went there. I kind of grew up there. Nobody gets up for the games. Nobody gets excited for the games. Whether it's a nooner or a 3.30 game, it does not matter. Kids don't show up. And that means a lot, not just for your home fan base, because guess what? The BC kids are used to it. It's for the opposing fan base that also show up. They like actually feeding off of uh, what's happening there. So that gets me really worried. And I know I've flipped my script again and again, just doing anything I can do to get a win out of this. I'm going to go VT because I honestly think they should win this. I think Michael Brewer can get them up for a sleepy game in Chestnut Hill. If any of us were, you know, honestly... You know, betting money on this game, would any of us feel you know feel confident with that two and a half point line? Though, absolutely not. I would not put any money on this game. Zero. I mean, zero chances to pick them. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I don't think it's the least confident game of all the ACC games, but it's low. Next game is UNC at Pitt. Pitt's number twenty three, and UNC is coming in as a three point favorite on the road. I like Pitt in this game. UNC has the 115th ranked rush defense in the country. Pitt likes to run the ball, and they play great defense. I like Pitt to cover that three-point spread. Yeah, um, I I decided that Pitt was going to win the Coastal two weeks ago when, in my you know in my mind in my eyes, Georgia Tech was officially eliminated. Uh, I like Pittsburgh. I think this game decides the Coastal. I really do. Um, I don't have enough trust in Duke. I really like Pittsburgh's defense. I think their offense is just good enough. I like Quadri Allison at running back. Uh, you know, he's been a great replacement for James Conner. I think Nate Peterman makes enough plays in the passing game to upend North Carolina. Um, the Tar Heels kind of disappointed me last weekend against Virginia. You know, they're, the, they're this team that, you know, time and time again seems to play down to their opponents, something that Virginia Tech has struggled with over the last couple seasons as well. So I like Pitt. Uh, more because of my own selfish inclinations, you know, picking them to win the Coastal uh, a couple of weeks ago when I knew that Tech and Georgia Tech was no longer going to be the matchup. I know why you picked them, because they, the only team that they've lost against is, you know who it is, the vaunted Iowa team that is so good. The only team that Pitt has lost against, we've talked about this uh, time and time again. You were right on Iowa. 
They're uh, they're going to go undefeated, and nobody's talking about them. Oh, uh, I did just go back to the podcast number three, and I was talking about how good Iowa was and how they ran over partner Narduzzi's defense. But anyway, I feel like UNC is. I'm picking Pitt, but if UNC does win this, so just to be clear, I'm picking Pitt. If UNC wins this, I feel like they're going to win it by like 30. Like, I feel like it's going to be one way or the other. There's not going to be a close game here. Either Marquise Williams is going to like go off and just like throw touchdown after touchdown, or the end of the day, Pitt's going to pull it off. I don't think it's going to be like UNC winning by, you know, a field goal or anything like that. I don't know why that just, it just feels that way. The way UNC has been playing this year. The next game is Georgia tech at UVA and Georgia tech is six point favorites coming off that ridiculous win against Florida state, which I'll give them all the credit in the world. That was so cool. The way that thing ended, I had zero faith in Georgia Tech because they had lost five games in a row and they basically stunk. And I said I was not taking them until they covered a spread. Well, guess what? They covered a spread. So I am taking Georgia Tech to cover the six points at UVA, even though this game is really, really tight. And more than anything else, it just comes with the fact that like I'm not picking UVA again after I picked them to maybe beat Boise State a few weeks ago. I'm so still so embarrassed about that. So I'm taking GT. Mike, who you got? Yeah, as long as you you know, as long as Mike London's the coach, I think picking UVA is a pretty bad idea. Um Georgia Tech, you can make the argument that not much is different between last year and this year as far as their team is concerned. They got a lot of the same players and they've executed to nearly the same degree. They've had a couple issues on offense. Justin Thomas isn't playing quite as well. But there's really not much separating this team from where they were last year to where they are right now at 3-5, and five, coming off of a ridiculous one they probably shouldn't have gotten at Florida State, but give them credit for making a play where it mattered. I like Georgia Tech in this game. I like them to cover. I think this is one of the safest picks of the weekend, in all honesty. Uh, Virginia, over the last couple of weeks, Matt Johns has struggled at quarterback with turnovers. He's a guy that couldn't really do anything wrong uh, earlier in the season. The Notre Dame game in particular, he played extremely well against a quality opponent. I like Georgia Tech to cover. Uh, Johns can't seem to hold on to the football right now. Virgi- the Virginia offense has little to no run game, and Georgia Tech is a team that is still good. They still have a lot of athletes on the offensive side of the ball. They've struggled a little bit on defense, but against this Virginia offense, I don't see them struggling too much on Saturday. So I'll take Georgia Tech. I think they'll cover. I think they'll actually win this game by a couple touchdowns. I have a, I have a lot of Virginia friends, so I'm just going to go Georgia Tech. That's it. How's that? They're going to win coming off that win against FSU. They're rolling. They're feeling confident. That's a big win for them. Paul Johnson, you could see him after the game. He was all manners of hyped up for as much as he has never smiled in his entire life. He actually smirked a little bit. I think they're going to be coming off a big win and against a Virginia team that's really struggling. I think they're going to win. And they've been in almost every game they've played all year, so it was bound to happen. Next game is Clemson at NC State. Clemson's number three, and they are 10-point favorites going to Raleigh. And dare I say the term Clemsoning here? Because I'm afraid Dabo Sweeney might strangle me. Uh, I think this might be the safest bet if you were trying to make some money. 
is to take Clemson because they have been destroying people. And I'm not basing this on the fact of what might happen. I'm basing it on what I've seen. And Clemson has taken care of every opponent they've had in front of them. And last week, that decimation and decapitation of Al Golden was one of the finest and funnest things I've seen in a long time. Deshaun Watson running wild. It was awesome. I like Clemson to cover that 10 points, even though I think the NC State's all right. That's a good pick, Pete. Um, you know, I think Clemson is also the safest bet of the weekend right behind Georgia or right in front of Georgia Tech, excuse me. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson's rolling. That offense is rolling. Mike Williams obviously was a huge loss beginning of the year. He's an all ACC, all American type of player at receiver for the Tigers. Uh, but I just really like the way Clemson's playing right now. NC State, they've struggled when they've played real opponents. Uh, there's no question about that. We learned a lot out of them when they played Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, they've they've been a team that, you know, with that soft schedule, you were kind of wondering what they were, and now you know. Um, and I just don't see them competing with a Clemson defense that lost a lot of starters heading into this season, just, you know, from graduation and, and the NFL draft, a guy like Vic Beasley. Um, you know, the plays he made on the defensive side of the football last year, uh, you know, he's a guy that's pretty tough to replace, but they replaced, you know, 10 out of the 11 starters on defense and they haven't missed a beat. So I like the Tigers. They're rolling right now. They're one of the best teams in the country. I like them to make the playoff. Yeah. I don't think there's a question here that I like them to make the playoff by far. I think they're number one in the country. I think they just supplanted, uh, Ohio state by far with the way that they've been playing. That game was a dominant performance and, I thought Miami, Kaya is a really good quarterback, and they made him look like he was a child sitting, you know, on the sidelines. He was just so, such a good player against us. He made a lot of great passes, and they just dominated him so much. I think that they are the number one team in the country. I don't think this has to be really a question mark. They're going to destroy them. So you, you like them. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, I think they're going to just barely cover, obviously, after what I said. Yeah. All right, so the next game is Louisville at Wake. Louisville's 12-point favorites, and these are two teams that have been tough to figure out. Last week, NC State jumped all over Wake early, even though we, me and Robbie both thought that Wake would cover that spread. They ended up not covering, but they came close at the end. They lost by 17, and it was a 10-point spread. It's 12 this week, and I'm taking Wake again. Louisville needed a defensive touchdown to beat BC. If they don't get that defensive touchdown, they don't win that game. And BC is not good. So I'm taking Wake with the 12 points. It's a lot of points. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think Wake will be able to cover the spread as well. Um, I like Louisville to win the game. Lamar Jackson is a guy that, you know, another selfish plug for me. I wrote in a column uh, over the weekend that he's a guy that's, you know, kind of made strides in the passing game. He was a guy that came into the season, you know, as a, as a true freshman quarterback. We didn't know much about him. He's got, you know, outstanding athletic ability, a guy that can really run the football, make plays in the open field. But he's kind of made some steps as a passer over the last couple of weeks. Wake Forest, I think they have the wrong guy at quarterback. I think John Walford's good. I think Kendall Hinton's better. He provides more of a threat running the football. 
he's the same sort of passer as Walford is. But, you know, I think Louisville wins this game. They have too many athletes on the outside. Bobby, Bobby Petrino really has that program heading in the right direction. But uh, Wake Forest, I think, hangs with Louisville in this game. I don't like the Cardinals' schedule. I don't like the way they've underperformed over the first seven weeks of the season. And I think Wake Forest covers, but Louisville wins the game. Wake has been keeping up with teams that they shouldn't be. And I think on this Louisville team, that's not UNC. They, you know, Wake kept up with a, a, they got smothered by one team. It was a UNC team. Louisville is not them. That spread is way too big for them to keep up with. I think that Wake will pull it off again. They're struggling for a win. They're struggling for anything that can keep momentum in the season. And I think they will this, this game. Next game is Syracuse at FSU. FSU is number 17 after their loss to Georgia Tech last week. And FSU is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against Syracuse. But I'm taking FSU, and I'll tell you why. FSU failed to cover against Wake, and I get that. And they've had their struggles. Cuse kept it close against LSU. But you know what Cuse did the week after they kept it close against LSU? They went to Florida, played USF, and lost by over 20 points. So they're going to Florida again after keeping it close against Pitt, and I expect them to get blown the F out. FSU by three touchdowns at least. Bold. Um, The reason why it's bold, I, I mean, I agree with you. Syracuse is a bad football team, and there's no hiding that. Anytime you lose to Virginia, I mean... Come on now. That's true. That's I mean, true. I mean, you know, Mike Mike London, you know, has the kids playing hard at Virginia, but I mean, Virginia is a bad program. Syracuse is worse. With that being said, Florida State has struggled this year putting teams away. Uh, you know, they held. Uh, you know, you know, they struggled against Miami. They couldn't put the Hurricanes away. They're a team that, for one reason or another, you know, they fell behind against Louisville, came back, won that game. They're a team that fails to kind of take advantage of the opportunity for one reason or another this season. I don't know if it's because Jimbo Fisher lacks trust in Everett Golson, if they just kind of refuse to hand the ball to Dalvin Cook, as we saw this past weekend. Dalvin Cook only got six carries in the second half, which is a big reason, in my opinion, why they lost to Georgia Tech. I like Syracuse to cover. I think Florida State wins this game by a couple touchdowns, but 20 and a half is a pretty huge spread. Um, I think that's an interesting one for Vegas. Uh, you know, I, you know, they know the odds better than we do, but I think they take into account that Florida state's failed to kind of pull away from teams and that's what they're hoping for here. So I'll take Syracuse to cover in this game, a little bit of a surprise, but I like Florida state to win. This is Syracuse I've written all over it. They've, they gave Pitt a run for its money, which shouldn't have actually have happened. They gave LSU in the Carrier Dome, which is the most vicious place to play that you can ever be, uh, you know, run for their money. I don't see, and both of those games were, you know, less than 10 points. I think that at the end of this, I think they're going to end up covering this game. That was, you know, those are two games that they should have lost and by a lot, and I think they're going to end up covering at the end of the day. We shall see. All I know is they got blown out by a USF team that stinks, and they're a long way from the Carrier Dome. The last game 
Miami at Duke. We don't have a line on this game. Vegas hasn't put a line out on this game because I assume of the Al Golden firing. Duke is number 22. It's in Durham. I would take Duke to win the game, and that might sound like an easy pick, but think about the fact that we lost to Duke in quadruple overtime, and I know that it was in Blacksburg, and we lost to Miami by 10 points, and it was on the road. But if you want to take the on the road at home difference, maybe you're given three, four points. But these teams are evenly matched. Brad Kaya is a very good quarterback. Duke is not very good. Uh, and the fact that they beat us in four overtimes doesn't mean that they're good. They're just not very good. So, Virginia Tech's not very good. Exactly. So. Exactly. So I'm going to take... I'm going to take Duke. If we're, I'm going to call it a pick because we don't have a line anyway. But if you're calling it a pick I'm taking Duke. But it's close. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it's close. I'll take Miami. Um, I really I really like Brad Kaya. Um, I like him when he's healthy. He got knocked out of the game last week. Uh, should be hopefully good to go this weekend. If he plays, he's too good for Duke, in my opinion. Uh, the Blue Devils don't have a great pass rush. If they did, um, I'd take Duke in this game, but I like Brad Kaya a lot. I like his receivers on the outside. Rashawn Scott and Stacey Coley have made a ton of plays for him this year. Um, and, you know, I think Miami is able to finally establish a little bit of a run game with Joe Yearby, something they haven't been able to do over the last couple of weeks, and it's kind of cost them. So I'll take Miami uh, just because I think the offense is due. They have too many athletes. Pick your spread. I will pick Duke on this game. David Cutliffe Cliff is an amazing, amazing coach. He's done more with that team than many people have done. And, in fact, a lot of Virginia Tech fans are are going after coaches just like Cutcliffe because of the way that they institute their program, that the way they teach how to play not just the sport but play to be a person. And I think Cash – first of all, causes a lot of problems for a lot of offenses. And the way that that guy plays defense is he's going to be an All-American this year. So I will go with Duke. I know that's not a, a, a nice comment or a good way to go, but I think it's the absolute truth that I think they have a lot more than uh, a lot of other teams do in terms of depth, confidence, and coaching. That will wrap it up for our picks for this week. So my roommate helped me uh, come up with a good college story time. He actually was my roommate back at Virginia Tech for a number of years, and he reminded me of this good story where I had this buddy who we'll call Ryan, and he had been hanging out with this girl all day, typical day-drinking event, Virginia Tech, just a normal Saturday down there, as you know. And he's with her all day. They're kind of flirting with each other, maybe even making out a little it finally it's nightfall. He heads back to her place with her and they go into her room and she was a friend of a friend, but we didn't know each other that well. And basically he is thinking like, this is going down. Obviously this is not, this doesn't have anything to do. You know, the song funky cold Medina, right? It's not, it's not that right. No, 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 no. (laughs) So he, he is like basically putting the moves on and she's like, well, what do you think is going to happen here? And he was like, well, what do you think is going to happen here? And she shuts it down and he gets like all upset 
and he's and he walks out of the room and he pulls a condom like out of his back pocket and throws it on the ground in front of like the five to ten people that are standing in the apartment. And goes, guess I won't be needing this anymore. <laughs> well, that's disturbing. <laughs> and so, and so, like people are like dying laughing, and he like walks away into the bathroom to I guess collect himself because he's like all pissed off that he ended up getting with this girl. And then like five minutes, and the condom's just sitting there. Five minutes later, he kind of like tiptoes back towards the condom and picks it up and puts it in his back pocket and walks out the door. <laughs> Can't leave it behind. So I mean, those things aren't cheap, and especially in college when you have no money. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, it's not always easy to get with girls at Tech as that story kind of put. We've all had that happen to us, I'm sure, once or twice where – you're almost home free and it doesn't go down. But uh, but in any case, it was a good one. And hopefully things have gotten easier for him since then. Let's hope. <laughs> I wanted to thank Mike McDaniel a lot for coming on the podcast. Dude, you were awesome. It was great to have your opinions. And you obviously keep a more well-rounded scope of the ACC than me and Robbie are able to. So it was awesome to have that perspective. Uh, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, Mike McDaniel ACC. So that is super creative. It's <laughs> that that says it all right there at Mike McDaniel ACC, and that's going to wrap it up for our podcast today. Make sure to reach out to us on Twitter. It's two D V T. That's at two D V T. Make sure to email us any questions. Two D V T at gmail dot com, and. Until next week, go Hokies.